0: one but i'm working out i love to listen to your podcast whenever you say something other people react to it taking my breath away aaron fern lundquist joins me hall of famer jim calhoun nascar icon dale earnhardt jr kirk herb street is on the phone here. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 391 yeah. of the podcast. in Sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, May 20th, 2021. People, I hope everybody has had a great week. And boy, oh boy, do I have a jam packed. Aaron Torres Sports Podcast for you today. So much to get into. Here is what we are going to talk about. We are going to start with two mega pieces of transfer news that I think completely change the dynamic of college hoops next season. As Severe Wheeler, point guard, played at Georgia, has committed to Kentucky. He appears to be the final piece at Kentucky. And I am just telling you right now criticize John Calipari you want, but at least on paper today, this roster is vastly improved. We'll talk Severe Wheeler. Also, Remy Martin. Two-time All-Pac-10 performer at Arizona State. He announces he's going to Kansas, and just like that, our boy Bill Self is back. We thought he was dead. Lifetime contract. Remy Martin, all of a sudden, the guy has never been living better. From there, we will transition. I will talk a little bit about this bizarre Louisville story. I don't know how much meat there is on the bone, but man, oh man, is it just weird. And then, at least with my portion of the show, I will wrap by, as promised, talking the winners of transfer portal season in college basketball. Remember, uh, most teams have their players reporting back to campus here over these next couple weeks. Transfer portal season is essentially done, and so I will give you the 8, 10, 12 teams that I believe won transfer season. From there, very special guest, very fun guest. As Dave Pash, ESPN, you know him. He is, of course, uh, the right-hand man to Bill Walton on all those uh, Pac-12 broadcasts late at night. If you remember, Dave, so Dave Pash is joining us. But if you remember, Dave Pash actually joined this show end of last college basketball season, right before the pandemic hit. It was so crazy. I I talked to him at USC, did a face to face interview. Next thing you know, the world shuts down. Dave Pash joins me. We talk a little bit of college hoops, obviously some Bill Walton. We talk about the Pac-12 success. In the NCAA tournament this past season, but we also talk a little bit of NBA. Uh, Dave Pash is an NBA announcer for ESPN, in addition to, of course, college basketball. He has seen all of these teams in person. And I'll tell you, like, the NBA playoffs are starting, right? And this podcast is never going to be, hey, let's break down Bucks Wizards game three. Like, that's not what we do, but we're all going to be watching the NBA playoffs. So, Dave Pash has some great insight into the NBA and, of course, college basketball. So, a loaded Aaron Torres sports podcast for you today we're going to get into all the big topics in a minute but before we do I want to welcome back our single favorite sponsor and that's Manscaped who let's be honest also your lady's favorite sponsor as I told you last time it has been a huge month in men's below the waist grooming as Manscaped's engineers have successfully created the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer which is now available for purchase all over the place this new trimmer was just released weeks ago, and as I told you last time, the Aaron Torres podcast was one of the first to get our hands on it. Join over 2 million men who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer. If you go to Manscape.com, of course, promo code TORRES, uh, 20% off your entire purchase, plus free shipping. Fellas, do it for yourself, and as I say all the time, ladies, if your man's too embarrassed, you can go ahead to manscaped.com, use promo code Torres. Nothing for you to be embarrassed about, ladies. You're trying to take care of your man. But again, like I said, let's talk about the lawnmower 4.0 because I'm one of the first people to try it and I am blown away by the performance. The craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. Their advanced ceramic blade and skin safe technology is so good that it almost seems as if Manscaped worked with Elon Musk's engineers to ensure your family jewels are as safe as possible. Listen, fellas. Ladies, maybe you had this experience, too. I don't know. But, fellas, we've all used the competitor. We all know what that's like. As I said last time, I almost lost my babies, and I don't even have babies using the competitor, not with Manscaped. Choose a competitor, bad news. Choose Manscaped, good news. But back to the lawnmower 4.0, so many great details. First of all, a new multifunction on-off switch. It can engage the travel lock created for people who like to travel. Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all over through additional guard lengths with sizes one through four. That's right. You're a grown man. Don't have to go completely bald if you don't want to. But also, fellas, let's be honest. You don't got to have the James Harden beard down there either. And so use Manscaped.com promo code TORRES uh, and you won't have that issue. The optimized lawnmower 4.0 is also waterproof, and this is really important, fellas. You can groom yourself in the shower. You don't have to worry about leaving hairs on the floor. You're gonna get yelled at for that. You're trying to do it for her, but you're embarrassed. All of a sudden, there's a few hairs. You're getting yelled at about that. None of us want that. Guys, you don't want that. You don't want that mess. We've all been there. Again, you can groom in the shower because the lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof. Did I mention wireless charging? Lawnmower 4.0's new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help your battery length last longer. I should mention, last thing, and then we'll get to severe weather. If you're still trimming your face with your below the waist trimmer, that's gross. Again, go to manscape.com, promo code Torres, 20% off plus free shipping. What you want to do is go there, get the Lawnmower 4.0, it's got the LED light. It's got it's 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 waterproof, so you can do it in the shower. You're not leaving hair on the floor. It's got the guard length, so you can trim to uh, your lady's preference, to your preference, whatever. And ladies, remember, again, you can go to manscape.com promo code Torres too. Do yourself a favor, do your man a favor. By the way, I should mention Father's Day is coming up in a few weeks. Want to get 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 you want to get your husband something nice? Want to get your boyfriend something nice? Manscape.com promo code Torres unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the for your job your balls will thank you your boy torres will thank you manscape.com promo code torres let's talk some basketball all right let's get to the topic of the day in college basketball where another marquee transfer is off the board severe wheeler right there's a couple marquee transfers left but for the most part transfer season is wrapping up but severe wheeler point guard University of Georgia he was all SEC second team last year led Georgia in points led the SEC in assists at close to seven and a half per game Severe Wheeler makes his college choice his transfer choice and he is headed to drum roll please terrible drum roll but that's not the point because Sevier Wheeler is not a terrible player he is an excellent player he is headed to the University of Kentucky And we are going to get into who he is, what impact he will have momentarily, but let me just say this, coming off the worst season of the Calipari era, frankly the worst season in John Calipari's coaching career at the college level, one of the worst seasons in Kentucky basketball history, we got to give John Calipari some due here, because every single problem that Kentucky had last season that led to a 9-16 season, the most disappointing season in recent Kentucky memory... John Calipari addressed them all, and I can definitively say that I cannot remember in all my years covering college basketball of a single roster overhaul quite like this. I guess you could probably compare it to John Calipari's first offseason when he brought in John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe, but what I would also say is this is completely different because this was John Calipari's program. Things went wrong, and to his credit, he addressed it as literally every big problem that that plagued this team plagued this program and caused one of the most disappointing seasons in recent history John Calipari went out and addressed him and so let's start with Wheeler let's talk about who he is what he does because as I said I kind of just gave out his credentials but severe Wheeler Uh, point guard, University of Georgia, as I said, all SEC second team, 14 points per game, seven and a half assists per game. He's not a perfect point guard. He turned the ball over too much. He's not a great three-point shooter, but what I will tell you is he is exactly who Kentucky needed this offseason. Kentucky has filled out the roster nicely with a bunch of different parts, but the one thing that they did not have was that true point guard that can get into the lane, beat his guy off the dribble, get to his spots, finish at the rim or get other guys involved. Severe Wheeler can do exactly that. He is a playmaker. He is a pass first point guard. And among many things that Kentucky was lacking last year, a player like that is exactly who they were missing. And so when you factor him in with who Kentucky has signed this offseason, I am having a lot of trouble finding a program that has had a better offseason than Kentucky. Now, look, Texas has signed a bunch of guys, Arkansas has signed a bunch of guys, Uh, Alabama has done work, Tennessee has done work, Auburn has done work, LSU on and on and on and on and on, Indiana, my boy Mike Woodson, but in terms of a program that needed an overhaul, needed a shot in the arm, Sevier Wheeler is now the fourth marquee transfer that Kentucky has signed uh, really over the last year, third in this offseason, Kellen Grady a multiple time all A10 player at guard shot over 37% from three point land in three of his four seasons. He is committed. CJ Frederick, one of the elite three point shooters in all of college basketball, is committed. Oscar Sheboy actually signed in the in the in the winter, excuse me, transfer from West Virginia, former McDonald's All American. Ty Ty Washington, who I just talked about last week, five star combo guard, has committed. But Severe Wheeler was the final piece that brought it all together. And let me tell you this. If nothing else happens with this roster, as Kentucky, in theory, still has three players that are in limbo going forward, Keon Brooks may come back, may go pro, may transfer, Davion Mintz may go pro, may come back, Isaiah Jackson almost certainly will go pro, but also has the possibility of coming back. If nothing else happens with this roster, I believe Kentucky's right back towards the top of the SEC. SEC. They're right in the conversation with Alabama, Arkansas, maybe LSU, and they are a legitimate top 10 team going into next year. It is a credit to John Calipari and his coaching staff for putting together a complete remake of this program as we know it. And what is most impressive to me is not just that Kentucky is going to be really good next year. It's not just that they will once again have a chance to compete at the highest levels of college basketball. It is what I have talked about on this show and on this, you know, over the course of the entire off season it is that major problems happen at the University of Kentucky and for the most part when things happen in a negative way for elite Hall of Fame coaches late in their careers they're late to address it or they don't address it at all or they think they have all the answers it's what undid Les miles at LSU many years ago it's frankly what I believe has largely undone Jim Bayheim at Syracuse where he refuses to stubbornly get out of that two-3 zone if they can make the tournament they're fine but prior to the tournament they always struggle and it is because you have old stubborn coaches not willing to make changes and so my biggest question as it pertained to Kentucky this offseason wasn't could John Calipari do it John Calipari rebuilds this program every single offseason it was was he willing to look at what went wrong and make the changes needed to fix this program going forward and let me just say this the guy did it in spades and every single problem concern uh, um, you know frustration from last year for Kentucky fans John Calipari has addressed this offseason and it is a huge credit to him first of all i just talked about it a minute ago the playmaking point guard we're going to talk about the three point shooting in a minute but the bottom line is if you do not have three po- if you do not have a guard that can beat people off the dribble that can get into the lane that can get others involved it doesn't matter how good your three-point shooting is, you're not gonna be very effective. John Calipari goes out and addresses that with Severe Wheeler. That, to me, was the final piece, but it was also the biggest piece. It, it, you know, it, it, in terms of importance, I believe it was number one, even if Severe Wheeler is, frankly, probably the final piece of the puzzle for next year's Kentucky team. The second big issue that John Calipari has addressed this offseason is the three-point shooting. I just talked about it. While the stats wouldn't back it up, You could argue that Kentucky was legitimately one of the worst three-point shooting teams in all of college basketball last year, certainly at the power six level. Again, statistically, they weren't the worst, but if you watch the games, they were really bad. It was tough to watch wide open three after wide open three, and frankly, outside Davion Mintz and and Dante Allen, uh, I think those two guys having success really skewed the numbers because everybody else could not make a wide open jumper. So what does John Calipari do? Goes out, signs C.J. Frederick, one of the elite shooters in all of college basketball last year, shot 47% from behind the three-point arc. He is, of course, Kentucky native. That is a huge, huge, huge signing. On top of that, I just mentioned a Kellen Grady, an elite three-level scorer from Davidson. He is a guy that has averaged 17-plus points per game in all four years that he played college basketball at Davidson, um, over 37% from behind the three-point arc. Ty Ty Washington, who committed last week as a freshman next season, he's a five star guard. He, I think, actually helps Sevier Wheeler in the sense that Sevier Wheeler doesn't have to be the sole playmaker. Sevier Wheeler even talked about it in his commitment that, um, you know, John Calipari has a ton of success throughout his career playing with two point guards at the same time. But at the same time, I would also say that Ty Ty Washington, in addition to helping Sevier Wheeler, another elite three-point shooter. And that's on top of Dante Allen, who came back from last year's team. And in theory, of course, Davion Mintz could be back as well. So when you add all those guys in, those are the two big marquee problems that John Calipari needed to address. But I believe there was some other stuff as well. First of all, the coaching staff. We all know it wasn't pretty last year, and this was one of my big complaints that I thought I was kind of ahead of in some regards, because when I watch Kentucky, when they started this season on that embarrassing, you know, whatever it was, 1-8, 1-9, whatever it was, I sat there and said, wait a second now, yes, John Calipari deserves some of the blame here, but when I watch Kentucky, what I see is a bunch of kids coming to the sidelines, getting yelled and screamed at by the head coach, and there's nobody there to pick them up. The, the, the previous coaching staff with Kenny Payne on the sidelines really helped Kenny Payne now with the New York Knicks, but besides that, once he left, nobody stepped up into that role of guy that is going to put his arm around a kid and say everything is going to be okay. Instead, last year, it didn't feel like there was a ton of coaching, quote-unquote coaching going on as guys came back to the sideline, walked to the bench. It was so obvious last year because the bench was spread out. There were no fans in the stands, and you said, Where are the coaches? You have all these assistant coaches. Why isn't anyone going over to that kid, putting his arm around him and telling him it's going to be okay? Didn't make sense then. Didn't make sense now. What does John Calipari do? Go out and get two of the best assistant coaches in college basketball, Orlando Antigua and Chin Coleman. Both of those guys are relationship guys, trust guys, Uh, guys that people in this business respect that that people like. And that's not to say that people don't like the two guys that have left. I'm not saying that at all. But these are two veteran experienced assistant coaches. They're elite recruiters and they know how to build a program and rebuild a program because they just did it at Illinois. And then finally, the thing that I love about this particular uh, uh, offseason for Kentucky is the biggest thing that I believe more than anything on the court needed to be addressed. Off the court, there was a real level of lack of maturity on last year's roster. You had the Cam Fletcher situation where he came and went, and you heard about what was reported, what was said in the locker room, all that stuff, what was said in the airport on his way out. Uh, Calipari talked incessantly about the idea of of, needing more accountability from his own players, the push and pull. These guys don't understand what it takes. Well, now what do you have? You have added four college veterans to a team that also has three or four guys coming back from last year. And so now, if somebody does fall out of line, if one of those star freshmen does come in with an attitude, with an ego, with a sense of entitlement, you know who's going to check them at the door? Xavier Wheeler, who said, "My, I'm coming to Kentucky to compete for a Final Four and win a national championship. That is a grown man. Kellen Grady, 4 years in college, grown man. CJ Frederick, four, 3 years in college, grown man. Oscar Sheepway, 3 years in college. You only that guy's a grown man? You you want to cross Oscar Sheepway? You ever seen him? He's a scary guy. Nice guy, but scary guy if you cross him the wrong way. And so that to me is the thing. You're going to have a more mature team. I think it's going to be every bit as talented. Now, John Calipari with a coaching staff that he trusts has a full off season to get those guys locked and loaded. And so I love this team. I know that in the past I have you know, last year I overhyped Kentucky a little bit, a lot of bit, but I think some of that had to do with the personnel. Some of it had to do with the lack of an off season. And look, nothing is guaranteed for this year either. Like I said, I'm not saying that Kentucky is now the number one team in the country going into next year. I do not believe that. I don't even know if they're the SEC favorite. Alabama's going to be good. Arkansas is going to be good. LSU is going to be good. There's a bunch of teams that are really talented in that league. But all I can do is do the show right now today. Like I always say, I do the show today based on what we know right now. And as I said, I can't ever really remember a coach in a program completely flipping a roster, completely doing everything they need to do to get things right, quite like Kentucky has uh, this week. And I'll tell you this, or this offseason I should say, I'll tell you this. For the first time in a long time, Kentucky basketball feels like Kentucky again. So Severe Wheeler, not the only point guard, marquee point guard in the transfer portal who committed this week. Just hours after Severe Wheeler commits to Kentucky. Another Blue Blood program. And yes, Kansas is a blue blood, like Kentucky is a blue blood, not like Villanova is a blue blood, neither here nor there. But anyway, uh Kansas, they get a commitment from Remy Martin, played the last four years at Arizona State, was a two-time All-Pack 12 guard, 19 points per game. And let me just say this a couple things. One, Remy Martin is about as good of a player to enter the portal as anybody in college basketball this year, but more importantly, he fills a very specific role and a very specific need for Kansas, who seemingly had every single spot on the roster filled except for point guard. Well, now they do. Remy Martin, in theory, is still testing the NBA draft process. I do not expect him to get drafted, and because I do not expect him to get drafted, I expect him to be in college basketball next year. If he is, he will be at Kansas, and if he goes to Kansas, I believe they have now potentially eclipsed both Texas and Baylor as once again the favorite in the Big 12. Shout out to Bill Self. Whatever's going on with Adidas, whatever he texted here, whatever he texted there, the man always goes into a season with a with a roster good enough to win the Big 12 and he once again will do that in 2021-2022 as Remy Martin is the last big piece that Kansas needed. Every other spot on the court was addressed as I just said a moment ago. They needed a point guard and they got about as good a one as you will find in the portal all offseason little background on Remy Martin like I said really accomplished player and a player that I think frankly has a little bit of a bad rap Arizona State was one of the most disappointing teams in college basketball this past season but if you look at Remy Martin's track record he has basically won everywhere at every level except for this last season at Arizona State I actually I'll be blunt I remember watching him play high school ball at Sierra Canyon with Marvin Bagley. That's how long ago this guy came through the high school ranks. Marvin Bagley, Cody Riley, who's going into his fifth year at UCLA. All of those guys were on the same roster. Remy Martin, when you saw him, he jumped off the tape in person, whatever, as just an aggressive uh, 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 athletic, uh, you know, t- point guard that just pushes the ball and is fearless. And I loved him from day one. And even though Arizona State was disappointing last year, I think it had more to do with some freshmen maybe on the roster, specifically Josh Christopher came in with the wrong intentions. Maybe he's a little bit of too much on the NBA. Meanwhile, Remy Martin's trying to make his fourth straight NCAA tournament. Arizona State would have made it last year. And so there was clearly chemistry issues in the locker room. Bobby Hurley talked about it after the season, uh, the assistant coaches talked about it after the season, it is not a big secret, I don't blame Remy Martin, like I said the guy has won at every level, everywhere he's gone, and now like I said, he is headed to Kansas where he is the final piece of what I believe will be a really good team, for people who do not know Kansas's roster, let me break it down a little bit like I just did with Kentucky's a moment ago, um, and, and what you need to know is, is they're basically set at every other position on the roster. They do currently have two guys testing the NBA draft waters Ochai Abaji, who was their second leading scorer a season ago. Um, or their leading scorer a season ago, excuse me, is a big kind of combo guard, six four, six five, something like that. Um, Jalen Wilson, big six eight, six nine wing, really talented player. Those two are testing the draft waters. Like Remy Martin, not projected to get picked very high. Both should come back, and if they both come back, you're talking about a roster that now is basically complete. David McCormick down low, who played well down the stretch, uh, Jalen Wilson on the wing, Ochai Abaji and Remy Martin in the backcourt. Add in Remy Martin to those guys, and I think you have a really, really talented team. Now, I mentioned that Remy Martin is a winner. I believe in him and his potential. It's not to say that he has no flaws. He is small. He plays a little bit out of control at times, turns the ball over a little bit too much, looks for his own shot a little bit too much. But again, he was in what was clearly a dysfunctional situation at Arizona State. Get him under a Hall of Fame coach. And you can say whatever you want about Bill Self. And anybody listening to this podcast knows I have been critical of Bill Self. I also know that guy is a heck of an X's and O's guy. I believe that Remy Martin is almost the perfect point guard for him super talented is going to make everybody else better and I'm actually curious because I think in many ways he will loosen up Bill Self because he is going to be able to make plays that nobody else can make grab a rebound catch it on the outlet fast break layup dunk for one of his teammates, and I think he's going to be a really fun player for Kansas Kansas fans to watch. And so credit to Kansas, credit to Remy Martin, credit to Bill Self, because this was the one hole that they had on their roster, and now you kind of look at Kansas heading into 2021-2022 and you say, you know what? That is actually a really good team. Are they better than Texas, who I'm going to talk about in a minute with all the transfer portal stuff? Maybe, maybe not. Are they better than Baylor? I'm not sure. But what I am telling you is this is no worse than a top 8, 10, 12 team, and they are ready to compete for the Big 12 title. Again, I'm going to hit all of the big transfer portal winners this offseason, but this is also, by the way, further proof that, that this transfer portal has just changed everything because two, three years ago, there was no way that Kentucky coming into an offseason, I know I just talked about Kansas, but bear with me, that Kentucky could have filled all the holes that they had coming into the season the way that they did with Severe Wheeler, C.J. Frederick, Kellen Grady, etc. And now Kansas does the same. They needed a point guard. They would have been okay if they didn't have Remy Martin, but now I think they're going to be really, really, really good. All right, last little topic, and then we will get out of here. But hey, guess what? It's springtime. The leaves are changing. I guess they changed already, but you get the point but nothing signifies the world getting back to normal like another scandal at the University of Louisville. And this one was incredible. Shout out to my buddy Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio, because he, tw- he teased this one on Twitter for about two hours before it came out. I'm sure that by some kind of uh, rule he was not allowed to share. But my, oh, my, oh, my, what a story. Dino Gaudio, former assistant coach, university of louisville a confidant of chris max his contract isn't renewed in the spring so what does he do he goes to chris Mack and says if you don't extend my contract if you don't pay me for the next 17 months i'm coming out in public with recruiting violations sounds bad this that huh huh. what's gonna happen oh you know what chris Mack does he says i got you on tape and we're suing you we're you're getting hit for extortion and so how about this for a louisville scandal as an assistant coach, for pe- I'm just going to give you the nuts and bolts. I'm sure anyone who cares enough to listen to this segment knows the details. But an assistant coach basically says, hey, if you don't give me, basically pay me for the next year and a half, I am going to expose your program for recruiting violations. Instead, the federal government comes in, and he could potentially be looking at jail time because of what he did. Uh, because of because of everything that happened, Dino Gaudio could be looking at jail time over extortion charges. Welcome to Louisville, party people. Oh my goodness, what a scandal. So a little bit of backstory, I think I, I kind of just really laid it out. I don't know how much more of a backstory that you need, um, but essentially Dino Gaudio was one of Chris Mack's first hires when he got to Louisville. And really, as Dino Gaudio's lawyer said on... Wednesday, we're talking about a 30-year relationship that these two men have had. Dino Gaudio coached chris mack all the way back to the days when chris mack was a player at xavier um you know there i I saw some stuff about he even recruited chris mack i don't know if that part is true or not but these guys 30 plus year relationship dino gaudio coaches chris mack at xavier chris mack gets the louisville job he hires dino gaudio dino gaudio of course was the former head coach at wake forest worked at espn for a million years takes the head coaching job and this spring Chris Mack, who, let's be honest, he is feeling a little bit of heat. And by the way, maybe next week we'll try to get Nick Coffey on to talk about this a little bit more. But Chris Mack's feeling a little bit of heat. Um, first year, doesn't make makes the NCAA tournament, loses in round one. Second year, there's no NCAA tournament. This year, misses the NCAA tournament. And so he decides, like a lot of coaches do when things aren't going well, shake up your staff, right? I'm not going to criticize Chris Mack. That's what John Calipari did this offseason. That's what a lot of coaches do when things go well. If I'm not going to criticize John Calipari, I praise John Calipari. And I'm going to praise Chris Mack because he felt like things weren't going the way that they were supposed to, and so he went ahead and made changes to his staff. Just one problem. Dino Gaudio wasn't happy and said, "Hey, you want to fire me? I got NCA violations on you and I'm going to go public." Now, a couple of things. One, the NCAA violations were actually like super minor. So the first one was some kind of recruiting violation as it pertained to recruiting videos. Okay, I'll tell you this. I I love college basketball. I don't really know what you could put on a recruiting video that would be an NCAA violation. It might have been something small. It might have been something negligible. You know, there are things that happen in recruiting that are that are still technically violations that are small. For example, you can't have former players call and recruit on your behalf. Uh, UConn can't have Ray Allen call a recruit and say, hey, come to UConn. I don't know if it was something in that stratosphere, maybe a former player on a video saying, hey, come look to Louisville, be a card. But what I'm telling you is on the grand scale of violations, especially when it comes to Louisville who had strippers in the dorms, cinnamon and candy and destiny in the dorms a few years ago uh Brian Bowen's dad getting paid tens of thousands of dollars this is not very big also apparently what was the second violation oh grad assistants were working out players extra listen that's stuff that is that happens basically at every program that is the minor of minorist violations but Dino Gaudio says hey man Chris Mack you don't pay me I'm gonna go public with these Chris Mack, just one problem. We're tape recording this bad boy. And now Dino Gaudio is in big time trouble. So in terms of like what's next and what happens, a couple things. First of all, I'll say this. It's bad for two reasons. One, because it is just another black eye for Louisville. And you guys know, I wrote a book about Kentucky. I generally defend Calipari, although he was indefensible in some cases this season. But I don't go out of my way to crush Louisville. Like, it's not, I I get nothing out of it. As a matter of fact, I had Chris Mack on this podcast. I've liked every interaction I've had with Chris Mack. I like the guy. But like, when you're Louisville, you you can't have, you know, coaches trying to extort other coaches. That's not good. And so you talk about just a dumb, dumb, dumb deal you know, this is it for Louisville. It's like you just can't stay out of the headlines. There are programs like this in college sports that just can't stay out of their own way, just can't stop doing dumb things. And this is the latest with Louisville. As I just said a minute ago, he had strippers in the dorms a few years ago under Rick Pitino. You had, oh, by the way, Rick Pitino, his own extortion case with one of his... Um, you know, floozies on the side there, one of his mistresses on the side, Karen Cipher. And then on top of that, you of course had the Brian Bowen situation. So it's just another bad black eye for Louisville. And what's ironic about this is if you actually look at the alleged violations, ironically, it's actually pretty good because if this was all Dino Gaudio had on Chris Mack, it means that Chris Mack is actually playing by the rules. But again, it stinks because Chris Mack is trying to get himself out of the mess that Rick Pitino created. They're still waiting for NCA punishment for the Brian Bowen deal, and he just doesn't need that stress. My only other real thought on top of that is, like, Dino Gaudio, what are you doing, bro? Like, like I don't know Dino Gaudio, never met Dino Gaudio. Sure, he's a great guy, but what are you doing trying to extort your former boss? What are you thinking, man? Like, okay, it didn't work out. I'm sorry. You've been waiting 10 years for this opportunity. It didn't happen. Whatever. You can't try to extort somebody because now he's looking at serious jail time. What's been interesting, I don't claim to be a lawyer, but his lawyer is already backtracking. Oh, there was miscommunication. It was emotional. It was this. It was that. But it is just one more black eye for the University of Louisville basketball program. Unbelievable. I'll say this. I really do feel bad for their fans. Nick Coffey's a great friend of mine. Nick Coffey did this show with me, you know, probably the first 100 episodes. Nick Coffey was on just about every single one. Nick's a great friend. The Louisville fan base is an incredible fan base. They deserve better than all of this nonsense, whether it is all the basketball stuff, Bobby Petrino, Tom Jurich, whatever. Things are finally starting to go in the right direction. Oh, by the way, then last year with Scott Satterfield, Scott Satterfield is is interviewing for other jobs and then makes it a big stink about, oh yeah, I'm coming back. I'm coming home when he's coming off like a three and seven season. So, this is my thought on Louisville if anything I just feel bad for the fans no fan base deserves what they're going through and uh, and yeah Louisville basketball the gift that keeps on uh, giving all right so let's wrap with something that I've promised frankly for not just throughout this episode but 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 Monday's episode as well and that is the winners of transfer portal season in college basketball and it's, it's it is interesting right uh, col- I told you when the season ended transfer conversation is going to be a part of this show because it is so big it is such a big part of what college basketball is right now now part of it is the one-time transfer rule part of it is more players just entering the portal in general part of it is so many players kellen grady uh whoever having an extra year of college basketball remy martin who i just talked about a minute ago There are so many variables that went into this being the single craziest transfer portal that we have ever seen in college basketball, and as I said maybe about six weeks ago, maybe the single craziest transfer portal season that we have ever had or will ever have because of the one-time transfer rule. I mean, there were dozens of really good players that entered the portal this year only because they have that extra year of eligibility, and so what I want to go ahead and do now is kind of break down the teams that I believe to be the winners of transfer. portal season because if we're being honest transfer portal season is, is is basically done it's not to say that a good player can't enter the portal it's not to say that a good player might not decide to leave his school or pull his name out of the NBA draft come back to college enter the portal there will still be difference makers in the transfer portal between now and when classes start in the fall but for the most part, portal season is done because for most campuses, uh, most most schools, they're bringing back their players here over the next couple weeks. I referenced it a, a little while ago with Severe Wheeler. All those guys will be on campus in the next two weeks. Ironically, I saw Walker Kessler actually moved in at Auburn on Wednesday afternoon. And so I bring it up. Portal season is basically done. And what I want to do is go ahead and give you the 8, 9, 10 teams that I believe are the biggest winners of portal season. I'll try to be quick, and before I get into it, a couple kind of ground rules for this kind of winner's uh, portion of the of the portal season. First of all, I'm not going to do losers, because at the end of the day, everybody was kind of a winner, even if they were a loser, right? Like, like, Georgia lost everybody, but they also kind of brought in a few good players. Now, the way that I look at picking winners is a couple things. First of all... It, I, to, to make things simple, you have to bring in at least two players that I believe are impact players to be considered for this list, okay? So UCLA, they bring in Miles Johnson. He was a starter on Rutgers' NCAA tournament team, but they only brought in one transfer because they only really needed one guy. Michigan only brought in one guy. Tennessee only brought in Justin Powell. And so it's not to say that they're not winners, but to try to keep this thing as brief as I can, and I'm already going long and I haven't even started yet, uh, to keep this thing brief, I I wanted to limit it to teams that brought in two or more impact transfers is offseason what I would also say I didn't pick losers for the reasons that I mentioned below uh, mentioned a minute ago is just that like look even the losers were kind of winners because even as bad as George is going to be next year they still got a couple guys on the opposite spectrum that are going to help them next year and so that was kind of the only other caveat one you had to bring in at least one impactful player via the portal this at least two players excuse me via the portal and the second thing is to be considered a winner I have to believe that at the very least you have more incoming talent via the portal than outgoing because everybody lost guys during the transfer portal, but there's no doubt that a place like Kentucky that lost a bunch of backups, guys that frankly weren't going to play next year, they won even though they lost players as opposed to a team like Arizona State that may have brought in a bunch of players, but they lose Remy Martin, they lose uh, Marcus Bagley, basically their two best players from last season. So enough small talk, let's get into the winners of transfer portal season. The first one, it's obvious. I already talked about it. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but it's the University of Kentucky. And John Calipari had a lot of problems last season, 9-16. and It was a total disaster, and he basically, at least on paper, addressed all of them. Severe Wheeler is that starting point guard, that guy that can get to the lane, the guy that can create for others. He is going to slot in, I believe, as the day-one starting point guard. Ty Ty Washington will play alongside him. They needed better three-point shooting. Well, how about one of the best three-point shooters in college basketball last year, C.J. Frederick, 47%. Iowa, he is coming to Kentucky. Kellen Grady has averaged seventeen percent points per game or more in each of the last four seasons he too is coming to kentucky down low they got bullied last year they weren't tough enough how about oscar sheboy who led west virginia in points and rebounds on the way to what should have been an ncaa tournament in 2019 2020 so kentucky to me is is the clear winner One, they got four really good players, and two, they're four players that this program absolutely needed in spots that they absolutely needed, so credit to John Calipari. He's dealt with, and for the record, and I'm going to say this about everybody, this all doesn't guarantee everything, and I know we have a lot of Indiana, Arkansas, North Carolina fans, whoever, that are going to say, yeah, let's see what happens when they they get on the court. Well, guess what? I'm doing the show today and all I can base what I'm talking about on is what Kentucky has done over the last six or seven or six or seven weeks, excuse me. They've been awesome. If you include Oscar Shibway from the December signing period, I believe Kentucky is a clear cut winner because they didn't only get good players, but they got players that fit what they need, fit what they're doing. Credit to them. Number two, Chris Beard and Texas Tech. And by the way, I'm just going to list teams. This isn't an order of like, Texas definitively is ahead of Arkansas and Arkansas is definitively ahead of Auburn. I'm just listing teams that stood out to me. So Texas, four players that will really help them next year. And by the way, credit to Chris Beard. As I said a minute ago, he was one of the early adapters to the transfer portal stuff. I think there's something to be said for a guy like Chris Beard a guy like Eric Musselman, a guy like Nate Oates, guys that didn't come up in the college basketball structure of you come to school and you stay for four years and that's what we're going to... No, like Chris Beard's like, yo, if I got you for one year and you ball out, go pro. Eric Musselman says the same, Nate Oates says the same. And so Chris Beard has always been an embracer of the portal. And I thought Texas just crushed the portal this year. Four impact players. First of all, Timmy Allen a wing from Utah, 17 points per game. He was all Pac 12 first team. He will probably be Texas's best player next season. Two big guys, Dylan Dissou, who I really, really, really like. He was the leading rebounder in the SEC last year at Vanderbilt. He's headed to Texas. Christian Bishop, a player who started on Creighton's Sweet 16 team, he is headed to Texas. And Devin Askew, who I just mentioned a minute ago, uh, played at Kentucky last year, he is headed to Texas. I don't think he is a starter, but I do think there is a role for him. And so credit to Chris Beard, and I'll tell you this just based on those four transfers, I think there's three really good players in Timmy Allen, Christian Bishop, and Dylan Disu. With the players that are coming back, I think you can legitimately argue this will be Chris Beard's most talented team, which is kind of scary because in two of the last three NCAA tournaments, Chris Beard has made an Elite Eight and a Final Four, so Texas is another winner. Third one, University of Arkansas. Look, you guys know the deal with Arkansas. Eric Musselman. Uh, basically, built Nevada through the transfer portal. And he, again, has the, that NBA background, that free agency background, that idea that you're always looking to develop and, and, and improve the roster. Four players at Arkansas. Frankly, they might not even be done yet. But four players at Arkansas, all of them can play. Chris likes he averaged 15 plus points per game each of the last three seasons at the University of Miami. If you can score 15 points a game at Miami, you can play. On top of him, Audis Tony, who averaged 14 at Pitt. So basically, the two best players you got out of the portal: 15 points per game at Miami, 14 points per game at Pitt. You can score that kind of point. You know that kind of input in the. ACC, there's no doubt you're going to crush it in the SEC. On top of them, you got a big wing Stanley Amude for Arkansas fans. If you don't know, I actually interviewed Stanley Amude. It is on my YouTube page. You can go find it there. Uh, But Stanley Amude is a big wing, switchable, athletic, And then most recently, Jackson Robinson, a former Top 50 recruit who began his career at Texas A&M, he reclassified. I bring this all up to say four really good players at Arkansas, and what impresses me most about them is that they fit the style of play that Arkansas wants to play. In other words, uh, Coach Moss, his system, he wants an NBA-style system where everybody can uh, break people down off the dribble, everybody can drive, everybody can attack, everybody can create for others, everybody can score. And I think all four of those guys play into that. You add in Devo Davis, you add in Jalen Williams, two guys off of last year's Elite Eight team, a couple other returnees, Connor Vanover and J.D. Note. There's a reason that people are so excited about Arkansas going into next season. Uh, number four, I will say the Kansas Jayhawks. And shout out Bill Self. I wasn't really sold on uh, the Kansas Jayhawks about 10 days ago. I thought they were good, maybe not great. Never doubt Bill Self. He goes out. Remy Martin, arguably the best player in the portal all offseason, two-time All Pac-12 first-team guard. He played at Arizona State the last four seasons, three-year starter, two-time All Pac-12, and he is basically the guy that Arizona State needed. Arizona State needed a playmaking point guard. Does Remy Martin have his flaws? Of course he does. Does he? Does he? Uh, cr- too? Does he get a little too shot happy at times? Yes. Does he play a little too fast at times? Yes. But he's also going to be playing for a Hall of Fame coach with other good players. I'm excited to see him. They also landed, ironically, and I think I talked about it a minute ago, Jalen Coleman lands right before I recorded this podcast. This guy is a seventh-year senior, okay? Four years of college basketball, got hurt, so he got an extra year of eligibility. Then he got a fifth-year, uh, vi- or sixth-year via the, the graduate transfer situation. So now heading into his seventh year of college basketball. You talk about a veteran. Uh, he came out of high school. How about this? The same is Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram, and Jamal Murray, and he is still playing college basketball. Seventh-year senior, just committed to Kansas, but he averaged 14 points per game at Iowa State in the Big 12 last year, so the kid can play. And I could criticize and I could joke, but he can play. So two impact players, Joseph Yesifu from uh, Drake, another important player to what Kansas wants to do next year, really do like what Kansas has on its roster. Number five, I will give credit where it's due. How about our old friend Bruce Pearl, friend of the Air tourist podcast? Five impact players ha- are coming into Auburn this year. Now, I will say... Not perfect at Auburn. They did lose Justin Powell, who I think is an all-SEC-type guard next year at Tennessee. But five impact players, highlighted, of course, by maybe the best player in the portal. I would put him or Remy Martin at one or two. But Walker Kessler, seven-foot center, played last season at North Carolina, didn't get a ton of game time, game reps, because North Carolina's front court was so deep. This guy's a former McDonald's All-American. He could be all-SEC first team next year. Really good player. Auburn signs him after almost signing him coming out of high school. He's from right down the road in Atlanta. Katie Johnson, another Atlanta kid from the University of Georgia, committed to Auburn right before I recorded on Thursday three other guards Wendell Green one of the top freshman guards in the country last year at Eastern Kentucky Desi Sills a familiar name for a lot of listeners of this podcast he played at Arkansas on that Elite Eight team last year was kind of an energy player off the bench he will also go to Auburn and Zeb Jasper who averaged 15 points a game at College of Charleston next year next team on the list want to give credit where it's due Oklahoma State Cowboys. I won't get into a ton here, but here's the bottom line, what you need to know about Oklahoma State. They had Cade Cunningham last year. He was awesome. Probably going to be the number one pick in the draft. Besides him, though, they basically returned everyone else off last year's NCAA Tournament team, and so what stands out about Oklahoma State? They didn't need the star player. They didn't need Walker Kessler. They didn't need Remy Martin. They just needed guys to play roles, and they have gotten those guys. Bryce Thompson, former McDonald's All-American, three-point shooter, played at Kansas last year, headed to Oklahoma State. Tyreek Smith, energy, effort, hustle, big man from Texas Tech. He's now at Oklahoma State. And Woody Newton, great name, by the way. Sounds like a Buzz Lightyear kind of deal. Woody Newton, played at Syracuse last year. He's kind of a stretch four. He is committed to Oklahoma State as well. Back to the SEC for next one. How about our boy Will Wade? Say what you want about Will Wade. Will Wade is never going to go into a season undermanned. How he gets those players, I don't know. Between him and, you know, the big guy upstairs, whatever. Not my business. But Will Wade signed two marquee transfers, Adam Miller... Uh, starter on Illinois' team this year that was in the top five, basically the second half of the season, a national championship contender into the NCAA tournament. Xavier Pinson, a 13-point-per-game scorer at Missouri. Both really good players. Both will have a major impact. Also worth noting that at LSU, they are also in the hunt for Trey Mitchell, one of the few remaining impact transfers this offseason. Adam Miller and Xavier Simpson. Because of it, LSU gets in here. Another team that I really like. Uh, The Virginia Cavaliers. So it's interesting about Virginia, right? And this tells you how crazy the transfer portal stuff has gotten because Virginia is a program that develops the heck out of their players. And so you know the transfer portal has run amok when Virginia – School of Development, National Championship, when they got to dip into the portal because they're now losing the guys off their bench that are supposed to develop into two, three, four-year players, those guys are bouncing. So what does Virginia do? They go hit the portal. Uh, Armand Franklin, really good player from Indiana last year. It's interesting. Basically, when Indiana took a nosedive in the second half of the season, it was when Armand Franklin went down with injury, averaged 11 points per game, great three-point shooter. And then Jaden Gardner from East Carolina, a banger down low, really like him. Moving on, and I'm going to try to make these next ones quick, the Florida Gators. Listen, I crush Mike White. We all know it. Everybody knows Torres and Mike White. Don't see eye to eye. Uh, And he did lose some players, but he also brought in four impact transfers, including most notably Myrion Jones. He was Penn State's leading scorer last year, 13 points per game, great three-point shooter. And I do wonder if in general with Florida, it will be better to get out of the recruit the highly ranked players who maybe, you know, aren't willing, I don't know how to say it delicately, but Come in with a little bit of an attitude, but come in with a little bit of entitlement. Go get those transfers that want to be on that SEC stage. Um, So Florida, four transfers, C.J. Felder, Flanders, Fleming, great name, um, Irian Jones, and Brandon McKissick, a wing from Missouri-Kansas City. Shout out to Mike White. Speaking of shout outs, how about my boy Mike Woodson? Mike Woodson, I think you can legitimately claim had the maybe the best portal season of any coach. And let me explain why. I don't think the Hall is as good as Texas or Arkansas or Kentucky, but what separates Mike Woodson, he had to actually go in the portal and re-recruit a bunch of players from Archie Miller's last roster when he got to campus. So Mike Woodson goes into the portal. He, signed, he gets four players that were Indiana players out of the portal and four guys that I think are going to play next year. Christian Lander, a guard. Um, I'm blanking on the other kid Parker Stewart who was one of the best three point shooters in college basketball two years ago and then Race Thompson Jordan Geronimo so he goes and gets four players of his own out of the portal then gets one of the best guards in the portal Xavier Johnson from Pitt um, Michael Durr a big man from South Florida and Miller Cop, a stretch four stretch three from Northwestern and I give Mike Woodson credit man I talked about it on last episode I won't beat you know bang the what do they say Uh, beat a dead horse I was going to say something else. I'm not even going to say because it's inappropriate. But um, I'm not going to beat a dead horse here. (laughs) I will say it again. But credit Mike Woodson. I did not think this guy was going to know how to come to college basketball, immediately handle the portal, immediately handle players coming, going, all that stuff. He has done a good job. So credit to him. Uh, last couple ones Mississippi State three impact players Garrison Brooks DJ Jeffrey Shaquille Moore I actually think Mississippi State's flirting with an NCAA tournament bid next year Maryland they only needed two guys because basically most of their roster should be back Fats Russell from Rhode Island who I think is actually gonna be really good for them Cutis Wahab who was maybe one of the most bizarre transfer portal entries he was basically Georgetown's best player as they made the NCAA tournament last year and so uh, so yeah so they're going to uh, Maryland and then my final final winner is actually Alabama now Alabama actually returns a lot of production off last year's team and I could be mistaken on this but I believe that they're essentially one of only a handful of teams Michigan and UCLA the other ones that didn't have a single scholarship player enter the transfer portal so Alabama with two fresh or two transfer commits Namari Burnett former McDonald's All-American, played at Texas Tech, he's a guard, he is going to fit in perfectly to what Alabama does, Noah Gurley, kind of a stretch three, stretch four, averaged 15 points and five rebounds per game at Furman last year, also shot 34%, guess what, six eight, can shoot threes, that is a Nate Oates forward if I've ever heard one, so those are my winners of the transfer portal, and it went longer than I thought it would, but my winners are Kentucky, Texas, Arkansas, Kansas, Auburn, Oklahoma State, LSU, Virginia, Florida, Indiana, Mississippi State, Maryland, and Alabama. A couple others that I considered, Oregon, Seton Hall, North Carolina, Louisville, Texas A&M, and TCU. Oh, I think that's it for the Transfer Portal talk. Let's get to Dave Pash. but actually... Before we get to Dave Pash, I do want to welcome back one of our newest sponsors, a sponsor that I am quickly falling in love with, and that is PrizePicks and PrizePicks.com. The NBA playoffs have started and there isn't a better way to enjoy watching your favorite former college hoop stars than by playing daily fantasy with our friends at Prize Picks is the simplest form of real money daily fantasy sports and simply pits you against the numbers. Whether you're a fantasy sports nut or a casual basketball fan looking to add some excitement to the games, Picks is the perfect game for you. You simply select two to five players on any given night. And predict if they are going to go over or under their projection in a bunch of stats, points, rebounds, assists, whatever. So and, and this is who I am picking today. So so it's it's really simple. I go on the app, I did it on Wednesday afternoon as we get ready for the two playing games in the Western Conference. It's Spurs versus Memphis Grizzlies, Lakers versus Warriors. Go on the prize picks app, over unders. This is who I like. This is who I picked for Wednesday, and I guarantee I'm gonna win because I, I you know, I'm like LeVar Ball, never lost. Never lost, okay? Uh, by the way, my last last week I told you Trey Young was going to go over that hit with ease. Here are my two picks for Wednesday's games. You'll know by the time you listen to this if they hit or not. First one, Keldon Johnson, over 12.5 points against the Memphis Grizzlies. Keldon Johnson is a baller. Uh, Keldon Johnson is a guy that is, gets up for big games. He is so much better as a pro than I thought he would be. I have been so impressed. He plays for the San Antonio Spurs. Over 12.5 points is my play. Also, Kevon Looney, he plays for the Golden State Warriors. They're playing the Los Angeles Lakers in the play-in game over under seven rebounds. I have him over. He is the only front court player. He's going to have to go against Andre Drummond and Anthony Davis and all that. So my two prize picks picks for Wednesday, uh, May 19th here, Keldon Johnson over 12.5, Kevon Looney over seven rebounds. This is why prize picks is great, by the way. Go on the app, pick them. Prize Picks gives you a it gives you a chance to win ten times your money for getting four of five predictions correct. So this is a great part, right? You hit your picks, you win. But if you choose as up to five picks, if you get four of them right, you win ten times your money. And here is the catch: they have a special promo for the NBA playoffs. Where check this out: a guaranteed jackpot of ten thousand dollars daily. All you have to do is this. You go, sign up, they give you five picks. If you get all five picks right, if you go five for five, you win $10,000, but it's only for your first time deposit. You get They give you five. You gotta pick all five over, under, whatever it is. You get all five right, they give you 10K. It doesn't get better than that. It doesn't get better than that. A first time deposit is, again, how you enter. So if you're confused, if you don't know, Go to prizepicks.com or the Prize Picks app. Use the promo code TORRES. On top of the 10K, you have a chance to win. On top of the 10 times payout for four to five predictions. If you use the promo code TORRES, you get a 100% bonus on up to a $100 deposit on your first deposit. So basically, you put in $100, they give you $100. If you use the promo code TORRES, don't forget that's the Prize Picks app or prizepicks.com. use the promo code TORRES, 100% bonus on up to $100 with your first deposit. Speaking of first deposit, automatically entered for that 10K daily flex play, Prize prizepix, prizepicks.com, promo code TORRES. Great, great app, by the way. Just telling you, it's a great app. I love it. I've been having a ton of fun with it. Speaking of fun, let's get to today's guest, Dave Pash. as I mentioned, ESPN. We know him as basically the voice of Pac-12 basketball along with Bill Walton and if you remember I had him on the show late in the last college basketball season we talked a lot of Bill Walton then this is what we talk about today we talk about uh little college hoops actually Pac-12 was he surprised by the success that they had Dave Pash, of course, as I said a minute ago, is actually an NBA announcer. He calls a bunch of NBA games, so we talk a little bit about the playoffs. Listen, I'm not, I'm not going to. This will, this will never turn into an NBA podcast, but we're all watching, right? So, Dave Pash, college basketball, NBA, and of course, he gives some Bill Walton uh, stories to go along with what he normally does. So here is from ESPN, Dave Pash. All right, joining me via Zoom, uh, old friend of the Torres podcast, uh, one of the last interviews that I did before the world just went crazy. Dave Pash, we're hanging out at USC. Onyeka yeah, sure. uh, Isaiah Mobley, Andy Enfield, and then two weeks later, uh, things changed. But Dave Pash, obviously ESPN, uh, college basketball, NBA, college football. What's going on, my man?
1: Good to talk to you, man. That's, that's crazy. That feels like so long ago. And I forgot that that was literally like weeks, maybe even days before everything shut down. So I remember it well.
0: I will tell you. So I I think it was the final week of the Pac 12 regular season, 2019, 2020. Um, and then I went to the Pac 12 tournament and I interviewed your very famous broadcast partner, uh, Mr. Bill Walton, on Tuesday before the Pac 12 tournament. Never even crossed my mind to ask him a question about it. And then, uh, you know, Wednesday night, no fans, Thursday. So it happened really quick is the point that I'm trying to make. But uh, how's everything? First of all, how is everything? Obviously, you've been through, you know, you've had an incredible year. So you were in the NBA bubble. You did college football. You did college basketball. Now you're gearing up for the NBA playoffs. I mean, just how different has your world been? But how much how close are you to getting back to normal?
1: Man, it's hard to say I feel like we're close to getting back to normal because we're still, you know, we're going to be doing some NBA playoff games from home in the first round. I feel like, you know, even in the fall, there's still some unknown. Like, they haven't told us, you know, how things are going to work. So I feel like we're getting closer because I have been traveling more. But, you know, you go back to the bubble and how strange that was. Then doing college football games from my house for a good part of the season doing NFL games from our stadium while, you know, because the Cardinals are on the road, so we're doing a game from our stadium, from our booth, while the 49ers, who were displaced, were playing a real game behind us. That was weird. And then, you know, doing the games with Bill all year where where he's home and I'm home, and then, you know, Pac-12 tournament was the first time I'd seen him in a year. So it's – I think I've probably gone crazy trying to think of ways to really – Describe it. I mean, maybe one day there's a book that needs to be written by one of us or all of us about kind of the experiences because uh, in a few years we'll probably forget about this and and, maybe we won't but at some point we will right and we'll want to look back and have it documented what what the sports world was like during a pandemic.
0: So let me ask you, obviously, as you just referenced, most of what you've done has been virtual over the last year and change outside of the NBA bubble, which is obviously its own beast. I mean, what, what has been the biggest difference for you or the two or three biggest differences for you, not only in just the setting, but how you prepare, how you call, how you find that balance because, you know, you're, you're not in the arena and you can't play off a crowd, things like that?
1: Well, football is as much more difficult because, for example, there was a game where we come back from break and all of a sudden the backup quarterback's in. Well, if you're at the game, you see things going on on the sideline. You see the backup quarterback bouncing around, warming up. I mean, it's much easier to say, hey, uh, so-and-so is warming up. Hey, let's be prepared here. But when you don't see it and your crew's not there, it, it totally changes everything. Uh, you can't see the back judge throw flat. You can't see stuff away from the play. So football, it's it's really like broadcasting with uh, uh, an arm behind your back. Basketball, because there aren't as many people, there isn't as much going on. It's a little bit easier. I'm not gonna say it's easy, but it's easier than football. Uh, I miss being in the arenas. When we were in arenas this year, you know we weren't on the floor, so we were, you know several rows back in glass-encased booths. Uh, I get it, everything's for safety. I understand it, safety for us, safety for the players, the fans, everybody, I, I get that. Uh, I just, I, I don't think I'll ever complain again about, man, it's taken a while to to, to get through this traffic from the stadium. Or, uh, man, there's just, you know, there's too many people here, it's really hot in here. Or, <laughs> or man, I don't want to take this flight and go, you know, take a red eye to go do this event. I mean, I'm anything I may have complained about in the past you know, first world problems are all of it, but I, I'm not complaining ever again. I'm I'm grateful to have a job. I'm grateful to be doing games. I'm grateful that sporting events are going on, and then hopefully, hopefully, we are past this.
0: Hundred percent. I think we've all kind of came to that realization here over the last uh, year and change. So I, I did. You know, I don't talk a ton of NBA on this show, but I want to have you on with the NBA. But uh, as mentioned, I think my audience mostly knows you for Pac-12 basketball, for your relationship with Bill Walton, all that stuff. I, I was just curious, before we talk a little NBA, what was your reaction to the Pac-12's uh, NCAA tournament run? I mean, you, you know these teams, frankly, probably better than anyone in the media. Um, and, you know, me living in the footprint, I probably know a little bit more than most. And I know that some of these programs have been on the brink, but haven't been able to break through. But for, for the year like they had with, you know, off the top of my head, what was it? three Elite Eight teams, four Sweet 16 teams. I mean, unbelievable. And obviously, you know, uh, I know nobody was uh, more excited than your partner, uh, Bill Wallen, who was probably like a pig in slop over those two or three weeks uh, during that NCAA tournament.
1: Well, to your point (laughs) that you made at the start, you know, nine years of doing these games, you know, I think we are probably closer than most because, You know, we're talking to the coaches constantly, you build relationships with the coaches, you're around the players, and obviously this year we weren't around them, but we still were doing Zooms, you know, before every game, you're following everything so closely, you get to know the assistant coaches, the SIDs, the trainers, I mean, you're just, you're around these programs, so often, so much more, because it's your conference, those are the games you're doing, you know, occasionally we do a game in another league, but for the most part, it's Pac-12. So needless to say, I was thrilled for the league and for a lot of coaches and players that I admire greatly for who they are as people and what they've done with their careers. So it was thrilling. It was fun to to kind of root for the Pac-12. You know, it was especially UCLA for Bill, just knowing what that meant to him. I mean, as someone who, you know, I've had to listen to him complain a lot about UCLA. You know, going back to the things he said about Ben Holland, uh, I mean, he he wasn't, let's just say he he didn't give glowing reviews of Steve Alford very often, and he was pretty high on Mick, you know, from the get-go, so to see, and I think Mick did a really good job of embracing him and Kareem and a lot of the former players that meant a lot to the program, you know, going the extra mile to make those guys feel like they're more of a part of the program, which you know, I, I don't think was done as well previously. And I'm not saying that's the coach's fault. I think there are other forces at work there, but it just seems like this year was different in, in last year too, in terms of uh, the involvement of the, uh, the alums, the great alums who made that place what it is. So it was especially neat to see, you know, Bill experience that. Obviously the way that it ended, I think Jim Gray put out a video cause Jim was in the room with Bill that's when right. When the half shot went in and Bill handled it well. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't have handled it as well uh, <laughs> because I know, you know, you just don't know how, you know, when you're going to get there again. I mean, he was used to it. Right. But now because UCLA, it's been few and far between that many opportunities to win a championship. So it's still cool. And I, st- I still think they can build on that because obviously they, you know, they weren't a high seed, they weren't supposed to get there. So it just, it just shows, um, that it's it's that UCLA basketball is back and that Pac-12 basketball for the most part is back.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I you know I had Andy Enfield on the show probably about two weeks ago. One thing that we talked about, and, and I don't know if you you know feel you know you feel the need to speak to this, but like Andy really felt like last season, the one that that you and I were doing this show in person at, at Galen Center. Um, you know they had a lottery pick last year in Anyeka Kongwu in addition to Evan Mobley this year. Um, You know, Colorado was just as good. Oregon was maybe better. Um, You know, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but his his point was, he felt like even last year, this conference was on the way up and they never got a chance to prove it. And so he really felt like, hey, it's been a two, three, four year process. We're proud to be part of it. And he really feels like his program, UCLA, as you said, are going to keep building on it. Oregon's always going to be good. Arizona, new coaching staff, all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Andy Enfield because, you know, when he took the job, a lot of people were like, okay, well, boy, he, you know, he went to the Sweet 16 at a small school, uh, you know, but this isn't, you know, a, a big name. Not realizing, you know, he's got, he's been coaching for a while. He was with Leonard Hamilton for a long time. He was in the NBA as a shooting coach. You know, this guy, you know, worked his way up. It wasn't like, okay, you know, he got to the Sweet 16 with Dunk City And all of a sudden, boom, um, he he got the job at USC. I mean, this was in the making in terms of, you know, his career getting, he just needed something big to happen to get the opportunity. And it did, and he's made the most of it. I mean, it's been the most successful run USC basketball's had maybe ever, certainly in a long, long time. And, you know, when other coaches around the league start to say, you know, Andy Enfield's a really good coach. Like, you can hear media and fans talk about it, but when other coaches talk about, a a certain person and they say you know when you're doing a zoom with mick cronin he says you know andy does some really good stuff defensively you know it's like boom you know the 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 alarms start to go off like okay mick cronin who's a great defensive coach is talking about andy enfield being great defensive coach and this was during the season and then obviously you watch what they're doing with the mobley brothers and how hard they play and then what they did in the tournament I've never felt that Andy Enfield has has gotten the respect that he should get. And, and maybe now he will, based on, on what we saw from his team this year.
0: 100%. You know, I brought this up with him, and, you know, I bragged for him so he didn't have to. But, you know, two NCAA tournaments in whatever it was, 16 and 17, I think. One year they were the first team out. Last year they would have made it. This year the Elite Eight. So we're talking essentially – one game away from five tournaments in six years. And I know you know this, but I think the casual fan doesn't realize USC is like a, like a legitimately hard place to win as weird as it sounds. Cause you're in UCLA shadow, you know, where that arena is. It's not easy to get to on a, on a Wednesday night during PAC 12 season, but, uh, yeah, credit to Coach Enfield. So real quick, like like NBA, and I, I think everybody knows, but in addition to your Pac-12 college football duties, by the way, great outdoor games we learned last time. I saw some old video of Jimmy Dykes doing a, a hot dog eating contest, and we learned last time you and Jimmy broke in together with the great outdoor games. But we'll discuss that maybe uh, later on. But, um, you know, you do the NBA. You do a ton of NBA and again, I, I'm not somebody, frankly, just with the college hoop stuff. I don't have time to watch a ton of NBA during the regular season, but I'll also say as a fan of basketball, like I'm actually kind of excited about these playoffs and, and for people who are listening, we're recording here right before the Warriors Lakers playing game. So there's still some t- stuff to be decided. But when I look at the Knicks in the playoffs, when I look at the Hawks with Trey young um, you know, the nets just being fascinating I think this is like a genuinely interesting NBA playoffs. And from your perspective, I mean, as both a fan of basketball, but maybe for our audience that that doesn't pay as much attention to the NBA up until this point, what do you feel like, uh, you know, are, are some interesting narratives or conversations going in these playoffs?
1: Well, I think in terms of how competitive each series should be, I, I feel like it's been a while where, and maybe the play in tournament has something to do with it, where you, you can't look at a series and say, oh, that's going to be over in four uh, or that's going to be over in five. I, I think, you know, especially in the West, if let's say the Lakers and the Warriors are the seven and eight seats, um, Utah and Phoenix had the top two records in the league. And that's your reward. You, you can't tell me that those aren't going to be competitive, long series. And then, you know, Denver, Portland, Clippers, Dallas uh, in the East, Knicks, Hawks. Uh, Even, you know, Brooklyn, Boston, um, if it's Washington that's playing Philadelphia, uh, you can't tell me that Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook can't win a couple games and make that a series. So uh, and maybe I felt this way before going to the playoffs and and, and just you, you always realize at the end of it. Well, yeah, that was a mismatch. I don't feel like there are mismatches going into this one. Um, I know the bubble was an unprecedented environment, but you still felt like going in, it was going to be the Lakers or Clippers. This one, I have no idea. Brooklyn, to me, is, is the favorite only because of what you see on paper. Um, I mean, those guys barely played together. Harden, Irving, and Durant, they, they barely, if, if people haven't been watching the NBA, you would think you look at their record like, oh, yeah, what a great year for those three guys. Well, I think Harden played like 35 games for the Nets. Durant played about 30 and Irving played somewhere in the fifties. So, and together they only played about 10. So I, but they're so talented. So I, I think you, this could be a year where it gets really wild and crazy.
0: Um, How many teams do you think can win it? Because that's the one thing that stands out to me and, and I don't claim to be any sort of expert, but uh, it does feel like this is a year where, you know, two, three years ago, it felt like, okay, the Warriors with Durant, maybe there's one or two teams that can really compete with them. But me just looking at it on paper, the Lakers are a little bit banged up. They're not 100%. You reference the Nets, the Clippers, everybody, you know, I think kind of saw the last week of the season, they're kind of resting guys and losing games they should and all that stuff. So I mean, how many teams do you legitimately think can win it?
1: Well, in the East, Brooklyn, Philly, and Milwaukee, to me, are three teams that certainly could win it. In the West, you think you could throw a handful of the teams in there. Utah, obviously, has been the best team all year long. Phoenix, why not? I mean, the Suns have been counted out all year, even when they got off to a good start. They maintained it. Even though a lot of those guys don't have playoff experience, you have Chris Paul, you have a budding star in Devin Booker. Why not? Uh, I still think you have to say the Lakers, just if LeBron's healthy and AD's healthy, that's a team – that can run the table the Clippers uh had a really good year and no one has shot the ball in the history of the league the way they're shooting the ball right now Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of their their made three-point percentage Utah makes the most threes but the Clippers uh led the league in in three-point percentage and you've got two elite defenders so I I think the Clippers are a team you know Denver without Jamal Murray Portland probably doesn't have enough I you know could could they could there be upsets and maybe they get to the conference finals? Yes. I guess I probably got to throw Miami in there only because they got the, to the finals last year. So and and they're back intact. So, you know, maybe that's another team. I I guess my point is it's wide open and they're at least a handful to to seven teams that could win the whole thing.
0: Do you think um, you know, there used to be this narrative that, you know, you got to go through the battles, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta take your lumps as a team. But, you know, the teams change over so quick now that, I mean, I, I do you feel like that is still true? I mean, the Lakers were basically thrown together on the fly last year. They won it. Um, you know, the Nets this year, I think, are still the favorites in Vegas. Do you, do you, like, buy that as a narrative that, say, a you know, even the Clippers, like, right, they, they, they took the L last year, you know, had a whole offseason to think about it. Do you think that matters, or is it just, you know, a team like the Nets is so talented that – it really doesn't matter that they can flip a switch uh, even, you know, despite the fact they basically didn't play together all year.
1: Yeah. I think to your point, the Lakers proved that last year that you can put a team together. If you have guys that have high basketball IQ and are willing to share the ball, you can win. And that's, you know, you have the guy with maybe the greatest basketball IQ we've ever seen in LeBron James. So you have LeBron, now you put AD, you know, they immediately went to being a title contender. Uh, the the Nets have you know those guys are smart basketball players who they do want to win. So you got Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. As long as you know the the ego stuff isn't an issue, why can't they just figure it out as they go? You know I think the Clippers. I don't know what happened in the bubble. Paul George just didn't look like Paul George last year, but he's had a great year. And again, you're talking about smart guys, high basketball IQ. So you put them together. Yeah, they haven't played a lot together, but you figure it out. Uh, and they all know what playoff basketball is like. Uh, the Suns, you know, you got Chris Paul. Yes, you have guys like Devin Booker and DeAndre and Mikel Bridges who haven't tasted what it's like to play in the postseason, but you got Chris Paul. <laughs> so, uh, you, and, and they've obviously been, you know, healthy all year, but Utah hasn't been healthy the last couple of weeks, Don. But Mitchell comes back. Again, you kind of have to reassimilate. But I think football, it's much harder. Uh, because you have so many more guys, you know, you build through the draft rather than free agency. I think in the NBA now you can put a team together like that. And as long as you've got dudes who are smart and who are willing to share the ball, you can win a championship.
0: Two quick questions, we'll get you out of here. First one, you know, you, you just referenced it. I'm kind of curious. I should have asked you off the top. How was the bubble? I mean, you're one of outside of players and coaches, a, a handful of people that was there. I don't know how many weeks you were there for, but I remember seeing you on TV quite a bit during that stretch. I mean, what was that like? I mean, what are the memories when you think back to that time in your life and your career?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was there probably a total of a couple of weeks. I went, you know, in for the regular season and then came back for the playoffs. You know, Mike Breen was there. You know, he he left for a week here and there, but you know, he was there for you know months. <laughs> I mean, a lot of those guys were there, you know, for the duration. Uh, so their experience would be different than mine. But yeah, it was really unusual to be in, you know, because to this to that point, we had not been in venues where there weren't fans. Yeah. So for the first time, you're covering NBA playoff games and like. Now, it looks great on TV. The league did a great job making it look really big on TV, but it was so weird to just take your headset off and it's dead <laughs> silent, right? Yeah. yeah. We, we did a game where there was a real controversial finish between Milwaukee and Miami in the conference semis. And, you know, if that was a game in Milwaukee loss, if that was a game in Milwaukee, you know, you take your headset off and people be yelling and screaming, the place would be nuts and, you know, people dejected and there wasn't any of that. Uh, and you're, you know, you're in a small arena, you get into a a car and there's no traffic. It takes you five minutes to get back to your hotel. And then you're basically in the hotel, you're back, you're not leaving. So yes, it was, I'll never forget it. It just, it was so odd. Um, but it, it was really cool to, to be a part of it and be able to, to say that I was a part of it.
0: Very cool. Last one. I'll let you out of here. Uh, I can't let you out. Actually, we talked a lot about your partner, Bill Wall in, uh, on the last time. I see his book behind you. Are there any are there any new stories? Is there anything? I mean, you know, you guys, you know, you guys you guys are kind of a, a brand at this point. And, you know, like I said, we talked a ton about it last time. I, you know, I want to talk to you about some different stuff today, but I was curious if there was anything new or how much you're talking to him. Do you guys still talk during the offseason? What's that like?
1: You know, occasionally he the big thing this year, and I don't know how it started, was you know the the show on ESPN, the Daily Wager. Somehow they'll yes, be. I noticed so this. Yes, he became a huge fan of it. He watched it all the time, and so because I talk about stats on the air, like God forbid you give let people know at home what the box score says, sure. right? Or someone who's on the season shooting fifty percent from three, but he's zero for five today. So to him, what I'm doing is I'm 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 not documenting something that people care about. I'm just involved in in fantasy betting. Yeah, that's right. And that's my reason for talking. So, so you know, he would he had his backdrop behind him for, for the on cameras, and there would be crazy all this crazy stuff on there. Obviously, for each game, he was very creative with that, and his, his wife Lori very creative with it. But you know, there'd always be a daily wager thing, and he'd have the host with my head on their body, sure. you know, with some statement coming out of my mouth. So that that was the big thing that, you know, for, for whatever reason this year more than other years, I was consumed with numbers and stats. And, and he's consumed, you know, and he's consumed with uh, progress and moving the game forward and telling stories and humanizing players who needs stats, who needs numbers.
0: He gives out stats, just not the stats that anybody wants during a basketball game, like the uh, seven countries that border Mozambique and uh, whatever the, whatever else that was one that he dropped. I think it was actually on PAC 12 network, but Anyway, uh, Dave Pash, ESPN, dude, I always appreciate you making time, man. Uh, I'm not sure when when your playoff slate starts. If you know where you're starting, if you're starting at home, what series do you know yet? Where where you'll be uh, to open the playoffs?
1: Yeah, what one quick thing on Bill? I forgot to okay. mention we did a Washington State game. It's the first time in nine years we had done a Washington State game during the regular season. Okay. The game was in Pullman. We were not, so we still haven't done a game together in Pullman. But he compared he. He broke down how Pullman is very much like the city of Rome, Italy. Okay, okay. That was, that was uh, interesting. But, yes, I have Clippers, Mavericks, uh, game one on Saturday. I'll be doing it from my house.
0: Fantastic. Well, Saturday night, I believe that's the last game of the day, right? No, Eastern. it's,
1: a, it's a 4, 5, 4.30 Eastern. The last game is Portland, Denver. Okay. We're, we're 4.30 Eastern, 1.30 Pacific time.
0: All right. Very good. Yeah, I'm doing radio uh, during the last game. So for some reason, I thought that was it. But Dave Pash, ESPN, uh, Pac-12 guru, you know, Bill Walton, uh, Wrangler, uh, NBA connoisseur. I appreciate the time, man, as always. Like I said, I appreciate you making some time, especially a busy time and uh, appreciate the insight. We'll do it again soon. Okay.
1: all good. Thanks, Aaron.